Well, good morning, everyone. I want to apologize ahead of time if I uh, cough in your ear. <laughs> I've been fighting this thing, and it doesn't want to seem to go away, so uh, I apologize if that's the case. Um, I want you to listen closely because I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be real honest, okay? So honest that I don't want to see any show of hands or anything, just you can answer quietly to yourself. But how many of you guys are guilty of distracted driving? Don't raise your hand. I can tell by the guilt on your faces, right? I'm talking about any of those distractions that you might have as you look at that little electronic device in your hand, including maybe in those one-word text messages like K or LOL, right? That counts. That's distracted driving. Has anybody ever done that? I know I have. I'm ashamed to admit it. And typically there's a little voice from that little boy right there in the back seat that's saying, Daddy, you shouldn't be texting and driving. And he's exactly right. Because the fact is, distracted driving is dangerous. We've all heard those tragic stories of, of people who have been seriously injured and even killed because of some form of distracted driving, despite all the warnings of how dangerous it can be. But we, we get so comfortable, surprisingly, as we drive around these 4,000-pound chunks of metal among a sea of other 4,000-pound chunks of metal, and we forget what kind of attention is necessary to really drive safely. I mean, just think about your drive on the way to church this morning. You backed out of your garage or your driveway, and if you're like me, you do that slowly. <laughs> you have everybody in the car, so you're not necessarily worried about people, but, but I make sure that I don't feel the bump of a bicycle, right, or, or the crunch of a skateboard that I can't see that may be behind me, and so I just go real slow. And I drive out of the driveway, and I come to the stop sign uh, out of our neighborhood, and I want to look real closely because that oncoming traffic is quick. It's moving fast. I'll make sure nothing's coming at us as I turn onto that street. And in my part of the, 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 the city, much like most of the city, there's a lot of road construction going on. So I have to pay attention because what could have been a lane of traffic yesterday is shifted to the other side that morning. And if I'm not careful, I'm driving head on in traffic because I'm not paying attention. Right? And of course, if you've lived in Lubbock very long, you know that getting on and off the loop is always a little bit dicey. Especially right over here at this Indiana exit, when people are slowly trying to get onto the loop off a of Quaker while you're quickly trying to get off, and it's, it's chaos. My, my point is, is that it requires a lot of attention to drive safely as we go from, from place to place. And as soon as we start worrying about really those insignificant messages on that device in our hand, we don't see the brake lights in front of us. Or we, we start to veer off the track because we're not paying attention. The bottom line is that even if you are an experienced driver, distracted driving is just downright dangerous. Well, in his letter to the Colossians, and Paul wants us to know and understand that distractions in the Christian life are very dangerous as well. Even for those like the Colossian believers who are doing pretty well in their walk with Christ. You'll remember, Paul's already said that he has rejoiced in their good discipline and the stability of their faith in Christ. And yet, there were false teachers who were introducing distractions into this otherwise very faithful church. 
And in their message, they invited the Colossians to take their focus off of Christ and what He accomplished by drawing their attention toward a a path of doing what is right in the eyes of men. It was a subtle distraction. But left unattended. It would cause the Colossian believers to, to veer off the track of this faithful obedience and find themselves on a road of dangerous compromise. And those distractions that Paul was concerned about for the Colossian church are equally as relevant for us today. Now, they may have a different look within our culture, but the intent is still the same. You see, the goal of our enemy is to distract our focus from the work of Christ by inviting us to follow the ways of the world. He wants us to question the security of our salvation. He wants us to doubt the truth of God's promises. He wants us to fear our future and what it may hold. And so we need to listen closely to Paul's message this morning. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to follow His path of obedience and and the, the ways that He's prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them in a way that brings glory to His name. Don't be distracted. Focus your life on Christ. It's an important message that we all need to hear this morning. So, Let's ask the Lord to guide us this morning. Father, we come to You as we open up Your Word and we pray that we would not be distracted. That we would hear clearly the message of Your truth this morning. And that we would focus our attention on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. That we would look to God as the architect and builder of our life. That we would trust in Him and grow in our faith as we focus on You alone. Give us the ability to do that this morning. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And if I could, for Colossians chapter 3 to make sense, I want to go back and revisit some of the warning that we saw at the end of chapter 2. And I want to emphasize to you as we do so that the distractions that Paul is concerned about are in fact very dangerous. I know this to be the case because of the words that Paul deliberately chooses as he writes this letter to the Colossians. Let me show you what I mean. If you'll look over at chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. So he uses this word delude to indicate this idea of being deceived by a a false reasoning. The false teachers were trying to just tickle your ears enough so that you'll listen to what they have to say. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and, and empty Deception. Those are strong words to to take you captive. Paul has with it the idea of being robbed of your freedom in Christ by being enslaved by the ways of the world and the traditions of men. 
if you talk to any good salesman, they'll tell you that, boy, if they can get you to listen long enough, eventually they'll convince you to buy something. It's the same thing with the false teachers. They tickle your ears with these persuasive arguments in hopes that you'll listen long enough that you'll at least give it a try. And then look what happens in verse 16. It says, therefore, let no one act as your judge. I want you to understand that within the context of Paul's letter, he's speaking specifically of the false teachers and not fellow believers. These are not people from inside the church. It's those who are outside who've come in giving a false message. And they do so with a false sense of authority, standing above by giving these rules. And as long as you let them, they will lead you the way that they want you to go. To the point, look at verse 18, where Paul says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Now, what strikes me about this statement is it's in the present tense, which tells me it must be a present reality within the Colossian church. These false teachers who are assuming a false role of authority are falsely disqualifying the Colossian believers by telling them what they should and should not do. Acting on behalf of God by saying, yes, you're accepted, or no, you're not. To the point in verse 20, where Paul says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? You see, I believe this is Paul's primary concern. What began with delusion, with just some persuasive arguments that begin to tickle your ears. They make you listen long enough that you're willing to give it a try. And the next thing you know, you're being held captive by a false authority to the point that you're actually submitting your life to their instruction. It's a slippery slope. And I believe these distractions are dangerous. And it's the reason and the motivation that Paul writes the letter to begin with. And as you look at those distractions, I believe there are two primary tenets that Paul speaks to in that passage. He's talking about how they are to grow in their faith, and then secondly, how they are to overcome the flesh. The false teachers had a reasoning, and he is telling them that it's not true. Look at verse 16, chapter 2. It says, Therefore let no one act as your judge, in regard to food or drink or in respect to festivals or new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments, grows with a growth which comes from God. You see, the false teachers were suggesting that that growth towards God comes from from following man-made traditions and seeking these mystical experiences. But in doing so, they divorced themselves from dependence upon Christ. They focused on what you should do instead of abiding in the truths of what has already been done through the work of Jesus Christ. You're not walking in the good works that He's prepared beforehand. You're making them up as you go. 
thinking that in some way that qualifies you to be accepted in the eyes of God. Because of what seems right in the eyes of men. And Paul says that's not right. He says clearly, growth is from God. You are being perfected by the work of Christ. He who began a good work in you, that's God, will perfect it until the day of Christ's return. We read earlier in the prayer that He wants to, to fill you with all spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of His will. He tells us that, that in Christ is the treasury of all wisdom and knowledge. So if you possess any of those things, they are given to you as a gift of grace from God alone. You do not possess them on your own. He goes on in verse 20 and says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the use in accordance with the commandments of the teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. See, the false teachers were suggesting that fleshly desires can be eliminated through self-discipline and decrees that dictate your actions. And Paul's warning them, as soon as you turn your eyes off of Jesus, you begin to focus on yourself. The image I have in mind is is a bodybuilder who's in the weight room and he's pumping weights and muscles are bulging and he likes to look at himself in the mirror, doesn't he? Just to see how big those muscles are. In the same way, Paul says that we can become so enamored with our legalistic lifestyle and our ability to overcome evil with good because of the great things we do that Paul says, listen, pride in your discipline is not making you holy. It is feeding your flesh. We do not possess the ability to overcome our fleshly desires. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We must rely on Christ. We must focus on Christ. We must depend on Christ to walk faithfully in obedience to Christ. As I think through this and and I follow the progression of this uh, concern that Paul has for the Colossian church. I think there's, there's a sad reality that he is making sure and doing everything he can to, to help them avoid. You see, the further you go down this path of lies that are being told by the false teachers and still exist in our world today, the farther you go down that path of lies, the farther you move away from the truths of Christ. To the point. To the point that you can forfeit the fellowship, the blessing of His fellowship and become become useless for the cause of Christ. That's the danger. You see, our enemy cannot change your eternal destiny, but he can lead you down a path of lies that ultimately brings you to a place of spiritual impotence. You see, it's really sad when you look at a Christian who has no joy because they kept following the empty promises of the world. 
It's really sad when you see a believer who has no hope because somehow they've been convinced that, that this world is what we're living for. It's really sad when you see a follower of Christ who has no peace because they're constantly frustrated with their inability to do it on their own. It's really sad when you see someone lose their focus on the riches of who they are in Christ by following the empty promises of the world. That's, that's really sad. But here's what's scary. Turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's really sad to see a believer led down a path of lies to the point that they become spiritually impotent. But here's what's scary. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. It says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received in gratitude. For it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. See, the distractions that Paul is concerned about are dangerous because they find their origin in the lies of deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Mankind is not making these up. They are being led by the demonic forces to come to these conclusions. That's why they're dangerous. And they can cause Christians to become spiritually impotent, where they lose their effectiveness for the cause of Christ. But but even worse, they can cause those who do not know Christ to lose all sensitivity to the truth because their conscience is seared, as with a branding iron. When I worked at UMC, I began my career working in the burn unit. And every week we would do a a burn clinic where patients would come into us and we would see them along with the surgeon to determine what degree of burn it was, a first, second, or third degree burn. One of the telltale signs of a third degree burn is that you would look at it and it didn't look very good and you'd ask them, well, does it hurt? And if they said, no, not really, you knew that it was very likely a third degree burn. Because it had burned to such a level that it had seared. It had carterized the nerve endings and there was no pain. And you knew that they were in trouble. That's a serious, serious burn. Well, the same concern exists in life as well when our conscience becomes seared. Because we get so enamored with lies that we're unwilling to to listen to the truth. So wrapped up in the ways of the world that we're unwilling to pay attention to the truths of Christ. One of the things that we once were convicted of, that we felt that searing pain of our conscience, no longer we're numb to them now. And what was once wrong now just feels right, and so that's what we do. Let me just urge you, especially if you are here this morning and you have not put your faith in Christ, don't make this mistake. 
Don't allow the enemy to lead you down a path of lies to the point that you become insensitive to his truth. I want to be real clear with you this morning. My prayer is specific for you. I pray that you feel pain. I pray that you feel the pain of the Holy Spirit's conviction so that you understand the love with which you have been loved because of the sacrifice that has been made for the forgiveness of your sins. I pray that you feel the pain of the Holy Spirit's conviction so that you put your faith and trust in Him. He alone is your life and your salvation. You see, these distractions, they're dangerous. They're dangerous for Christians. They're really dangerous for those who do not know Christ. And so that's why Paul now turns in chapter 3 and he says, let me focus your attention on Christ. Look at chapter 3 of Colossians with me. He says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. <clears throat> have you ever had a, tried to have a conversation with somebody who's distracted by something? <laughs> right? So if I'm watching a football game and Terry's trying to tell me something... I may acknowledge, but I have no idea what she's saying, right? <clears throat> Grant sitting up here. We know that when Grant has got his nose in a Lego magazine, <laughs> we're not gonna, he's not going to hear a word we say, right? Is that true, Grant? Oh, yeah. So we've got to put that aside and look at his face and say, let me have your undivided attention. This is really important. Listen to me. I've got to turn off that TV and say, okay, sorry, I'm listening. You have my undivided attention. I think as we look at our passage this morning, that's as if Paul is turning to the Colossians church and he's saying, look at me. Let me have your undivided attention. This is really important. I want you to focus your life on Christ. He says, if then you have been raised up with Christ. We've already talked about this. This statement in the original language is intended to communicate something that is known to be true. You could substitute in here since or because you have been raised up with Christ. Now, the evidence of that is seen in the context of the passage because in chapter 2, verse 12, he's already told them, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. He's told them, you are believers in Jesus Christ and therefore you have died with him and been raised up with him in Christ. So that is your reality. And with that reality becomes a new capacity that did not previously exist. See, their faith is what allowed them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 that says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The point is, is that when you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have a new capacity to both know and understand and have the wisdom to apply the truths of God given to you by grace. And so Paul says, in knowing that, listen to me, let me have your undivided attention, don't get lazy. Don't get lazy. Keep seeking the truth. 
that idea of keep seeking, it's a continual pursuit. It's a, an idea of investing your life. And we understand that principle, don't we? Because we all invest our life in the things we love. Just think about somebody who enjoys playing the game of golf. What do they do? They, they spend a lot of time playing golf. Somebody who enjoys quilting, they spend time quilting. If you love to read, there's nothing you enjoy more than curling up with a good old book and just spending time reading. We invest our life in the things we love. So Paul says, focus your life on Jesus Christ so that He is your greatest passion. Center your life on Christ. Because we know the truth of Scripture tells us where your heart is, where your, where, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So focus on things above. And, and so I want to just ask that question. What, what does he mean? What are the, the things above, right? Well, I think he spent the letter describing those things above. For example, in verse 13, he's told them. He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us of all thy transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death, having nailed it to the cross. Paul says, focus on that. Set your mind on the fact that you, as a child of God, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to think about. He says in verse 10, and in Him you have been made complete. Think about that. Think about the fact that he who began a good work in you is even now in this moment perfecting you until the day of Christ's return. Think about the fact that you have everything you need for life and godliness through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 19, he says, and we are connected to Christ the head. The entire body being supplied, held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which comes from God. Think about that, that that's where you turn as you want to grow in your faith to endure difficult times. Your source is Jesus Christ. The treasure of all knowledge and wisdom resides in Him. Think about that. Set your heart. Align your life. Actively pursue the truths of who you are in Christ. Make this your greatest treasure and your heart will surely follow. And Paul knows that the, the heart and mind are inseparable. That's why he connects with verse 2 by, by saying, set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth. I'll go back to my illustration that I was just talking about. If you've known somebody who loves the game of golf, they do a lot of research about the game of golf, don't they? They don't just hit any golf ball. They find the right golf ball for their game to help them play as good as they can. They don't just swing any set of clubs. They pick a particular set that helps them with their game. They research, find out, because that's what they love and they want to do well. We recently went to Washington, D.C., Washington, and one of the places we went was the National Museum of Art, which was actually my favorite place probably. But we didn't stay there long because the kids were not real fond of the pictures. <laughs> But I was amazed, as I've, I think I've mentioned to you before, being able to stand literally inches away from an original Rembrandt or Vincent Van Gogh or a Monet. And even in, in my unknowledgeable mind about art, I could appreciate the beauty of what I was looking at. 
But I've also had the opportunity to stand next to somebody who loves art. And, and they would tell me about that artist and what was going on in their life when they painted this picture and what the setting is intended to communicate. And by the time they're done, there is a depth of beauty that I could have never appreciated on my own. But because they loved it so deeply, they had a knowledge and appreciation about it that brought it to life like I've never seen before. Well, when your life is centered on Christ, your heart's desire is to know Him more. To grow deeper into that relationship with Him. And Paul understands that the mind is the doorway to the heart. What fills your mind enters into your heart and ultimately moves you to certain actions. And so if your mind is on things above, it will move you to certain actions. Or excuse me, if your mind is on things of the earth, it will move you to certain actions of the earth. So if you think about making money a lot and that's your life pursuit, that's what you're going to strive for. And you're going to do things that help you be successful and wealthy. And then you're going to get to the end of it and go, this is empty. If your mind is on success and what you do to, to climb that ladder where you work and then you get to the top and you go, this is not all that great. If your mind is on selfish desires that have a momentary, momentary pleasure, then it's gone and you're empty again. What was it worth? But if your mind is on things above, there are some things that last forever. And so what Paul is telling us is to concentrate your concern on the eternal and not on the temporal. Because what fills your mind ultimately enters into your heart and drives you to certain actions. So when you focus on God's forgiveness, I promise you, you're more quick to forgive someone else. When you focus on God's provision, you more readily find peace in trusting in His provision. When you focus on Christ's return, even in the midst of all the things that are going on in our world, that if we think about those things enough, we can get pretty frightened, can't we? But when you think about Christ's return, you realize that there is a hope that we long for that will one day make all things right. And that seems to be where Paul wants to lead us as he finishes up in verse 3. Look at that with me. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You see, the false teachers were trying to convince the Colossians that the work of Christ was not quite finished. That maybe perhaps He had begun a good work, but it's your job to finish that work. Shifting the focus from what Christ has done to now what you must do. And Paul says, that's not true. That's not true. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. If you talk to anybody who's in construction, I know Larry's here, I saw him this morning. If you ask Larry, he'll tell you that new construction is a whole lot easier than any remodel that you'll ever do. Right, Larry? And I know this to be true for sure in my life because I recently remodeled my bathroom. <laughs> and I realized that every time I went to do one thing, it ended up turning into two or three more things. 
We wanted to make our shower a little bit bigger, but in doing so, we had to make our closet door smaller. And the closet door wouldn't work, and so we had to put in a pocket door. Okay? We wanted to change the fixtures on the, the shower, but in doing so, we had to redo the plumbing because it wouldn't work together. And then I wanted to redo the walls that were, had wallpaper on them, so I went to take the wallpaper off, and it wouldn't come off, so I ended up having to refloat the entire wall. It was just, quite frankly, a lot of stinking work. Well, the false teachers wanted to convince the Colossians that your life, their life is a remodel. (laughs) And so they needed to to get to work. And Paul says, God is not remodeling your life. He is making something new. You have died with Christ, which means that the old is gone and the new has died begun that plan for your life he says is hidden in christ and when he communicates that i believe he's intending to tell us that it is secure that it is safe that it resides in the rule and reign of jesus christ and in him you've been made complete and you are not a remodel you are a new creation But if you've ever built a house, I remember our first house that we built on Justice Street here in Lubbock. Foundation was laid, walls were up, it was just the studs. And I remember standing on that foundation looking around going, I have no idea how this thing is going to work. I couldn't tell what was the hallway and what was the room and everything looked a whole lot smaller than than I thought it was going to be as I was standing there looking at it. I just couldn't get that picture in my mind. I think a lot of times the same is true for us when we try to imagine what God has in store this side of heaven. In fact, the Scripture tells us that we see in a mirror dimly, but then there will be a day when we will see face to face. It says that we now know in part, but there will be a day when we will know in full. Then he goes on to say we will, be, we will know fully as we have been fully known. I want you to think about that. The plan for your life is hidden in Christ. God is both the architect and the builder who understands exactly what He intends for you to be. We are most satisfied in this life when we allow Him to to do His redemptive work inside of us in a way that brings glory to His name. And one day... One day we will see the finished product when we are revealed with Him in glory. That's when we will see what He has always known to be true. Until then, keep seeking. Don't be distracted. Focus your life on Christ. Set your mind on what Christ accomplished and let this truth be what transforms you. And Paul calls us to action because I believe he understands and I want to communicate to you this morning that there is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. If you are not moving towards Christ, you are being moved by the current of our culture in a different direction. You and I must fight to maintain our focus. Did you hear what I said? You and I must fight to maintain our focus. It is an active pursuit. See, the world is filled with all kinds of mixed messages and lies and proposed solutions to what is right and what makes life complete. 
They'll tell you that the goal in life is to be happy. That's what we're all shooting for. And so if that's the goal, then whatever the means it takes to get there is justifiable. Because God wants us to be happy. And so that's why we often look at persecution as a sign that, that, that God is not pleased. And so we need to avoid that at all costs. That's a lie. Because very often, difficult times are the things that God will use to get our undivided attention. And our goal in life is not to be happy. Our goal in life is to give praise and honor to our great God and King. Depending on faith, the world tells us it's foolish. Because you've got a mind. Use it. You can figure out the answers to life and you don't have to be completely dependent on faith. That's a lie. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. See, the world is filled with solutions. The question that I want to ask you this morning is where do you, where do you go for answers? Where do you go for answers? There's all kinds of solutions being offered to you. Where do you go for answers? I recently sat down with Graham and a group of his middle school friends. I was so encouraged as these public school kids, some of them having just come to Christ, sat in a room, eyes intent upon me as we opened up this book and talked about God's Word. And one of the things that I told them that I'm convinced of, and I'm going to tell you the same thing this morning, I told them as they are in middle school, one of the critical stages of their life, this is important because now is the time when they make their faith their own. They have believed things up to this point because of what their parents said or what their pastor said, but now they've got to be convinced themselves that it's true. And I said, listen, you're going to have all kinds of questions and the world is going to have all kinds of answers. But I promise, I promise that this book has an answer to every single question you have. This is where you go. Makes me think of that Apple commercial where it has all these problems that you have in life and then they say, we have an app for that, right? Got a solution. This is like the world's largest app store. (laughs) You've got a problem in your life, got an app for that. There's a solution found in the truth of God's Word. First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen says, "All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for some good works." Oh, that's not what it says, is it? Every good work, every answer that you seek in life is found in the truth of God's Word. But some of you may listen to that and say, "Well, that's fine," but. How- I can't understand that. I mean, I've never been to seminary. and That's okay. (laughs) Listen to what Jesus says. John 16. Just listen to these words. Jesus says, But when He, speaking of the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit of God that indwells your heart is your teacher who guides you in all truth. Go to His Word and let Him teach you and guide you and instruct you in how to apply those truths to your life. That's a promise. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. We've all heard that illustration of a frog boiling in water. If you took boiling water and just took a frog in it, he'd jump right out, right? But if you just put him in a pan of water and just heated it slowly so that he couldn't really just see the, the changes in the temperature, he would eventually end up boiling to death. That's a little bit of a concern as we think about our world around us and all these subtle changes that are going on. And so the question is, how do we know if we're getting lured to sleep, right? 
How do we know if we're getting too attached to this world? Well, let me give you a couple of things as we finish up this morning that you can be attentive to. The first thing is, you know you are being too attached to this world when possessions become more important than people. You know you're being too attached to this world when possessions become more important than people. We all have lots of things. And the world's telling us that we need more things. And there are two ways that you can hold on to things. With a tight grip or an open hand. And let me encourage you to hold on to everything with an open grip. And very routinely, listen to me, very routinely, I encourage you to give something away of personal value to care for the needs of someone else is more important than your own. If you can do that, it tells you that you hold loosely to the things of this world and you've set your mind on things above. If you can't do that, look at your fist. You may be holding too tightly. The other thing that I would ask you to consider is that the world tells us that life is all about our happiness, right? And so let me encourage you to spend some time thinking about things you can do to consider the needs of someone else as more important than your own. We mentioned this morning the, the soup kitchen, the Lubbock Impact, opportunity for people just to serve those who are in need. There's no flair about it other than the fact that you're taking time to care for the need of someone else who doesn't have anything close to what you have. And sometimes that takes uh, a lot for us to step out of our routine to do something like that. The other thing that we do at Melanie Park is we have mission trips every year all throughout the year. A a group just got back from Chihuahua. We'll probably do another one in the spring. We take mission trips and and exposure trips to Mexico City. I know there's Living Well projects that's going on. There's all kinds of things that are happening. If you've never done that, let me urge you to do so. And here's why. Because if you don't expose expose yourself to things outside of your comfort zone then you might become too attached to the world in which you live. And every once in a while, you need to step outside of that, see life outside of your world to realize the work that God is doing beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. And I promise you, when it's all said and done, you will hold on to this life a whole lot more loosely than you ever have before. There was a story of a a lady. Pinterest is like, you know, has everything. Terry shared this with me. But this lady, I think she was 38 years old, had an idea. Let me share this with you. This is something else you might try. I thought it was great. For her 38th birthday, instead of having a party where all the attention is on her, what she decided to do is to do 38 acts of, uh, random acts of kindness. So she went and, for example, went to a busy place where there were lots of people and there was a Coke machine, and she taped quarters to the Coke machine, just a note that says, save your money, you can use mine. She went through the drive-thru and paid for her drive-thru meal and then asked to pay for the person behind her so that that was taken care of when they came through. She went to a playground and took coins where there were kids just playing around and she just put coins on the ground so that she could sit back and watch the delight of the kids when they found a quarter and a nickel and a dime and another quarter. She did that 38 different ways to serve the needs of someone else and it was the best birthday she'd ever had. Possessions when they become more important than people, we're holding too tightly to this world. When we get too attached to our comfort zone, we're getting too attached to this world. Do things to consider the needs of someone else is more important than your own. What enters the mind fills the heart and ultimately drives you to certain actions. So set your heart, align your life 
actively pursue the truths of who you are in Christ. Make this your greatest treasure and your heart is sure to follow. Keep seeking. Don't be distracted. Focus your life on Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, that's easy to say and hard to do. In the world in which we live, there are a thousand messages per second that come at us through TV, through billboards, through campaign speeches, through messages that surround us in the radio and every place we turn. And it's so easy to be led astray like these false teachers in Colossians to things that are not true. They tickle our ears and they invite us to follow and just give it a try. And the next thing you know, we're being held captive to and surrendering to an authority that does not belong to you. And we submit ourselves to lies that draw us away from the blessings of fellowship in Christ. So, Father, help us to be a people who focus our attention on you, that we set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth, that we routinely pursue that which we love most in order to know more what it means to be a follower of Christ, to, to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus, to experience the peace that He promises, to be complete in Him, to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to walk in the knowledge of His will because we set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Father, that's our prayer. May we be that people, knowing that it's only possible, not because of what we do apart from you, but only because of what we do through you, in you, and ultimately in dependence upon you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.